schedule. So good morning, everybody. Didn't need to say that part out loud, but I did. Um, I also have to acknowledge, I see a tiny baby in the screen and it's just really fun to see a little baby at church with us. So I don't know the baby's name, but I want to say hello. Um, my husband and I were just thinking uh, about how our two-year-old, Lydia, was a baby not too long ago, but now is a full tiny person who yells at us um, and has her own opinion. And that's just an interesting, that's been an interesting transition. Uh, but uh, the reality is I've been thinking a lot. Oh, Stuart is his name. Welcome, Stuart. Um, I don't know if anybody, raise your hand if you are feeling just some anxiety and tension as we, as the gap kind of closes between the election and results. I will raise my hand for that. I'm feeling a lot of that, no matter what comes, right, on the other side. There's, we are in the midst of lots of conflict, and I think conflict will continue, right? That's some of the reality. Uh, as I look at scripture, something I notice is that there's just a lot of conflict in scripture, right? Between God and people, people and people, right? Systems and people. Um, and when I look at the gospels in particular, as I kind of pay attention to the level of anxiety I feel around the conflicts that we're in, I notice that Jesus doesn't shy away um, from conflict. Jesus actually steps into conflict. And so we're going to look at a passage from Matthew today that's uh, in a section of Matthew's gospel where conflict is actually ramping up between Jesus and and the religious authorities, and it's going to come to a head, right? As um, ultimately Jesus is sentenced to die for the level of conflict he's creating. Um, the thing I notice that we're going to see in this passage, and also that plays out in other parts of scripture, and I think is a through line to today, uh, is that there's a familiar pattern that continues to play out around us as conflict happens. And that is that... Uh, when we're in conflict with others, or when we have differing, they're not just ideas, right? These are things that deeply impact our lives and the lives of people we love. But as we disagree with other people, it's easy to see those we oppose or have opposing viewpoints um, as other, right? As somehow different from us. Um, and I think when we begin othering people, that actually makes it easier to dehumanize. And the wages of dehumanization are always death. We see that play out in Jesus's story. We see it play out in world history. We see it playing out all around us, right? The wages of dehumanization are always death. Um, and so I think there's a way that God wants to invite us to think carefully and to consider the way that we other people around us, right? The way we other our neighbor, neighbors. And Jesus offers a different model of how to engage. So let's look at that this morning. Um, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew 22, start, starting in verse 34. But let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the scripture. God, um, we come before you as people who have inherited um, on different sides of the spectrum, right? Either we've been on the receiving end of being othered or we are from people who have othered other people. And the way that um, a story, a narrative of dehumanization and death swirls all around that, no matter which side um, of that spectrum we're on. And Jesus, we want to acknowledge this morning that there are ways that we bounce back and forth between different sides of that spectrum way too easily. Um, so God, would you speak to us by your spirit? Would you give us a picture um, because of what Jesus makes possible? Um, that we get to we get to speak truth to one another about who we really are and who we're created to be, and that that is the path that leads to something more human rather than less human. So Jesus, uh, keep us on that path by your grace and your mercy. In your name, Amen. Matthew twenty-two, starting in verse thirty-four. 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Who do you, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it that then David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, as I was reading this passage, and again, I recognize particularly the first part of this passage, very familiar scripture, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, or that part gets pulled out. I'm picturing, you know, Sunday school lessons from my childhood. It feels basic to hear that we were supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And yet, I would say, if it were so basic, we would all be living this perfectly and our world would be different. So I think there's probably something for us to learn um, and keep learning over and over again. So the first thing I notice is there is no loving God without loving people, right? And Jesus puts these two things together, says, if you're going to test me, if we're going to boil it down to what really matters, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? And strength, something every Jewish person knew and memorized. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and it's easy in a Western context where we easily kind of um, think in dichotomies or binaries uh, to think, well, the real, right, loving your God comes first, loving God comes first, and then loving people. But actually in Jewish thinking, right, in Eastern thinking, those things are tied together in a way that they cannot be separated. There is no loving God without loving other people. The extent to which we love God is made manifest by how we love the people around us. And that reminds me of... Um, a saying uh, or a, a phrase that comes out of uh, the Lakota tradition, but it's actually found in almost all indigenous worldviews. And that is the idea that um, when you look at the created world, uh, the phrase, I'm not going to say it in Lakota because I don't know it, but it translates as all my relations. And it's the idea that creator and creation, um, God and the, connect the created world and people are all together, right? So we're in this ecosystem of relationships that includes nature, spiritual reality, um, and there's not a hierarchy to that. And that's what I hear in that, in what Jesus is saying about loving God and loving people. Those things are deeply connected. It's hard to see other people as less than human if we steep ourselves in Jesus, in a Jesus-influenced worldview that says we are all deeply connected and we can't extract ourselves from that. And we can't look at other people and say, you're not part of the human family. The second thing I notice, right? So there's this first moment of testing with Jesus. And then the, there's notice there's no engagement with what's being said, right? There's no further curiosity. They move on to something else. Um, and what they move on to is, you know, this who is the Messiah? Jesus poses the question, actually. And then there's kind of this scripture from Psalms used um, as Jesus kind of challenges their sense of who is the Messiah. But to me, that speaks to the way that... Um, if we move on even a little bit from Jesus's message about neighbor loving and even enemy loving, it's easy to walk down a path of dehumanizing others, particularly those we see as our enemies. Um, 
Again, that's going to play out in Jesus's story as he is othered by the religious leaders. That path always leads to violence. And I see that in the way the Pharisees engage with Jesus's question. There's a way that perhaps they've their, their mindset is not curiosity. It's already trying to trap Jesus. And so it doesn't really matter what he says. They're just looking for the thing that they can say, ah, this justifies everything we've thought about you. You are other and we will treat you accordingly. I think this is pertinent in our moment now and probably always. And one of the reasons I believe that is because if you look at church history, very quickly, a group that was considered other gains power and then begins to other the people who had formerly oppressed them. So here's how that plays out. The early church begins as a predominantly Jewish community. That's the repeated theme throughout the New Testament, right? In most of Paul's letters, it's Paul saying, hey, Jewish Christians, stop excluding Gentile Christians. God is doing something new. You are all part of this new, new thing together. You are all relations in the kingdom of God, right? But what happens is that after the destruction of Jerusalem happens in the first century, century um, the church loses its connection to its Jewish roots and it transitions very rapidly to a majority Gentile community. And that's a major reversal in the dynamics in this community. And as that continues to play out, right, a few hundred years down the road, I read an article this week that talked about if we're going to think about white supremacy and how that played out in racial hierarchies in America's founding, you have to look back to what happened in Europe and you actually have to look back to church history to see when did Christians begin othering one another in their community. And so what you see when you look backwards is that by the 1400s, Spain begins to pave the way for what kind of grows into white supremacist ideology by beginning to exclude Jewish converts to Christianity in its midst, right? Think of it as an, essentially as a form of deportation to say anybody who's a newer Christian who, uh, who uh, converted from Judaism or has Jewish roots, you're out of here because we're creating this pure church um, of people who are not ethnically Jewish, right? Not ethnically Moorish. Um, was another group that was excluded. So how does that happen? How does a Gentile group of Gentile believers historically, who were the ones being excluded, a few hundred years later turn around and say, we're actually going to exclude the folks who first welcomed us, right? How does that happen? Well, I think that happens because it's really hard to love our neighbors, right? And it is really hard in practice to love our neighbors. Um, we can quickly go from feeling like we are the people who are spreading the message of welcome, welcoming the margins, right? To turning around and othering people we feel like are more exclusionary. That happens so quickly. And what Jesus says is that path always leads to dehumanization and dehumanization always leads to death. So how do we love our neighbors as ourself in practical ways in this moment and in ways that are different than just flattening difference and saying, be nice, because that's not the message, right? If that were the message, Jesus wouldn't be in conflict with the authorities constantly, right? And with his own peers. That's not the message, right? What I also want to say is this can also go to the slippery place of where we look at um, those of us in our community who have experienced different kinds of oppression and say, oh, you need to be more loving, right? You need to be quick to forgive. And I just want to say, no, like be in your... 
we each have a we each have a journey we each are accountable to jesus and then as a community i think god might have different roles for us to play in how we engage right how we engage the other and how we do that in a loving way um so the first thing i want to say is that um one of the ways we can love our neighbor even in places of deep difference um is that we give room for people to change uh, we keep engaging in places of high conflict, just like Jesus does with the religious teachers and his own disciples over and over again, because Jesus seems to have a perspective that these folks are worth engaging with and that nobody's done, right? We have been on journeys ourselves of change. I am not the same person I was at 18, 19, or 20. I don't believe the same things as I did at 18 or 19 or 20. Can I offer that same thing to other people, that there is room for change and growth and transition? Um, can we, can we offer that gift, the same gift we've been giving at the same time, some of what invites change in our lives is that people challenge us. People don't shy away from the plates where our views, um, hurt other people and they challenge us on those things. Some of the most loving moments in my life have happened when somebody I love and respect told me the truth, right? And told me something that was risky and hard for me to hear and was willing to engage with me. Um, so sometimes loving our neighbors practically will mean having risky and challenging conversations um, about places where we see um, the outgrowth of an idea or a policy being death and dehumanization. So again, we look at ourselves with compassion. We offer compassion and room for growth with other people. Um, we give people room to be on a journey and we also risk engaging in um telling people the truth and having challenging interactions. Um, I will confess that in this moment, uh, when I think about what's the internal narrative about people in my life who support this current administration, right, and some of the dehumanizing policies, I don't leave a lot of room in my view of these folks in my life for them to be fully human, right? I reduce them to a view, I other them, and I feel justified in doing that because I feel like, well, the outgrowth of what you're supporting is so bad right can't i have this little piece of vengeance in my soul and when i look at the way of jesus i think jesus says you don't get that little piece of vengeance in your soul that's not for you um i'm not invited to reduce people to a particular view i'm invited to see them as human and view them with compassion um one thing that gives me um gives me hope and also gives me pause is that when you read about uh, nonviolent teachers during the civil rights era. One of the practical tools they used when they thought about dealing with their enemy, right, dealing with the other people who would actually um, do violence to their physical bodies at a sit-in or at a protest, is that um, the the teachers who taught nonviolent resistance said, when somebody is hurting you, right, physically, when you see hate in their eyes, I want you to imagine that person as a baby. I want you to view them as a vulnerable infant and imagine that at one point that human who is standing above you ready to harm you was a, a baby who was loved and held um, and needed to be loved and held and taught um, something in place of fear and insecurity. And the reason they did that is because they knew that in those moments, right, these resistors would, would need to humanize the person on the other end of that club right? Or that other end of the um, whatever tool was being used. Um, and so to me, that says that folks who have been about the work of resistance uh, and fighting destructive policies in our country, like, 
uh, they needed a tool to say, how do I look at my other? I'm, I'm not actually naturally loving. I'm not a saint. I need a tool to remind me that this other person is also part of my human family. Um, and they have forgotten who they are. They have believed a lie about um, what they should fear and about where their identity comes from. Um, and I need a tool to remember that they are human. So what I want to close with as I think about how do we do this? How do we engage with people, not from a place of saintly love, but a place of I am quick to dehumanize the other, right? I'm quick to dehumanize people who I see as having destructive views. Um, how do I humanize them? Um, how I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Moana, but I believe it is a teacher of great many spiritual lessons. And one of the spiritual lessons in that movie is that um, the bad actor in the movie uh, is Tafiti, and Tafiti has, Tafiti has been this, um, she's kind of the mother creator in this story, but she has lost her heart. It was stolen from her, and now she's this lava monster, just full of rage and destruction. Um, and when Moana, the heroine of this story, approaches Tafiti at the end, she has this moment where you realize her perception of Tafiti changes. And instead of viewing Tafiti as an enemy, as a problem to be solved or fixed, Moana looks at Tafiti with deep compassion and says, you have forgotten who you are, and I'm going to remind you of who you are. This destructive, rageful person, that's not who you really are. That's not who you are. And I wonder as, if we, as we engage others in our neighborhoods and in our world, um, our work is to actually partner with the spirit to say, Lord, give me the picture of what is the deeper thing that has been lost for this person. What is happening underneath the surface? Um, how have they forgotten who they are? And what is my role in reminding, reminding of being a community that speaks um, truth into the painful void of our human experience and says, you don't have to choose fear and insecurity um, and rage, you can actually remember who you are and that you're connected to other people um, and be welcomed into your family. Because uh, in Jesus, we see a story of creator making all things new, right? In Jesus, we see a story of othering and dehumanization leading to death. And then Jesus saying death is not the end of the story. Something new is possible. A new community is possible that's marked not by othering, not by expulsion, not by walking a path of dehumanization, um, but by choosing enemy-loving, enemy-loving neighbor love. That's what we're invited into. So as we move, um, as we move into our breakout groups, I'm going to invite us. I know Joel's going to give words of benediction, but I want you to already be thinking. Um, who who are you challenged to love right now, right? And again, that doesn't mean you're best friends with this person. That doesn't mean you have to hold their hand. But internally, is there a shift that God might be inviting you to say, pay attention to that little chunk of vengeance that you want to hold on for yourself. Pay attention to those thoughts that turn people not into people, but into others, um, because you don't want to walk down the road of dehumanization. That's not actually what you want for your soul and for the soul of your community. So let me pray for us again. Jesus, thank you um, that you speak through all things, even Disney movies. Um, thank you for the image of restoring the heart that has been lost, um, particularly for people around us that we have deep disagreement with. Um, 
Jesus and not from a place of like patronizing to say like, oh, they've lost their way. But because we know we share a common story of losing our identity. Um, we know that we have all forgotten who who you made us to be. And we need to re- be reminded over and over again. Thank you that in the story of Jesus, we are reminded as you take on flesh of what it looks like to not other enemies, to actually continue to engage, um, to do that with compassion and to ultimately show that another way is possible. Jesus, would you protect us from our own places where hurt um, and wounds, God, and very, very real, um, even righteous anger towards things leads us to even subtly shift the way we view other people and that we, instead of saying you are part of my family, um, we put people on the outside. Would you transform us for the in, from the inside out that we actually can offer something good to others because of the story we're living? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Andrea, thank you for that word. Um, I, 